Are you sheltering in place, isolated, feeling alone? <coughs> well, then you're just like us. Hit me. From Studio P in Sausalito, the home of the quarantined hit, it's time for... Suckatash. Suckatash Shut-In, the Soundcast stimulus package featuring snippets from comedy... Soundcasts. And now, here's your host for this episode, Mark Hershaw. Mark Hershaw. Mark This is Suckatash Shut-In. The Soundcast Stimulus Package. If this is your first time through, welcome. If you've done this rodeo before, welcome back. I'm your every other episode host, Mark Hershon, and this is Season 4, Episode 227. If you missed previous Epi 226, with alternating co-host Tyson Saner, he featured a trifecta of comedy soundcast clips from Candy Dinner, Blood and Black Rum, and Spanish A Key Presents. You can still grab that installment from our home site, SuccotashShow.com, or any of the fine authorized Soundcast dispensaries in your area. I am recording this episode on the eve of the 2020 election, so I don't know the state of the United States as you're listening to this. I certainly hope the good guys won, but win or lose, we'll keep bringing you Succotash in some way, shape, or form until they make us stop. For this episode, I will not be featuring clips, but instead, I have a fascinating chat with comedian, writer, and deep thinker Dylan Brody. We've had Dylan on the show before when he was a guest on one of our old favorite shows, Dylan Brody's Neighbor's Couch, hosted by Darren Staley. And Darren and Dylan had us, Tyson and me, on Dylan Brody's Neighbor's Couch Revisited not too long ago. But this will be the first full-on mano mano interview that I've had with Dylan. What I love about it, and I even mentioned this in the course of our conversation, is that I thought the thrust of our chat was going to be one thing, and it turns out to be several other wonderful things instead. This episode of Succotash Shut-In is brought to you by Henderson's Pants, makers of the new kleptomatic trousers, just in time for shoplifting your way through the impending holiday season. And TrumpPoetry.com, releasing yet another salvo of fresh verse, right into the face of the one who shall not be named. We'll get into my chat with Dylan Brody right after this important message. This portion of Succotash is brought to you by Henderson's, innovation in pantaloons and trousers since 1896. Almost 80 years ago, when Grandpa Al Henderson was struggling to raise a family during the Great Depression, he did what any unemployed family man would do. He shoplifted food. But he did it the right way and never got caught because he used his patented Henderson's kleptomatic trousers made with pride in the USA with not four not five, but 11 expandable pockets that drape and shape naturally, while stylishly concealing fresh fruits and vegetables, eggs, even live poultry, and feed a family of five while never once alerting market vendors or law enforcement officials. Well, as they say, everything old is new again. And now, Henderson's is proud to offer Kleptomatic Plus, microchip equipped to neutralize barcode scanners, exit alarms, and other loss control detectors, so you can walk through any door with confidence. That's Henderson's Kleptomatic and Kleptomatic Plus trousers, helping you provide with confidence in every stride. And now, back to more of Succotash. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? It does not get much better than being me. Um, Like everybody in the pandemic, I am a little bit underslept. 
Yeah. I am occasionally a little bit unexpectedly fragile. Uh, I am uh, uh, figuring out how I function in a, a world beset by plague. Yes. Um, but, you know, I'm well ensconced. I have, I think you may know, I have two dogs and a bearded dragon. Uh, that's uh, Ursa Minor, Hellhound of Love, Little Bear Brody, Esquire. <laughs> Uh, and uh, Ted the dog, okay, and Llewellyn Fairluthengrin Brody, <laughs> dragon, and then my lovely wife, who, whose name escapes me at the moment, and <laughs> we're happily ensconced here. But my, Ted the dog is aging. Oh, um, and uh, this morning I was awakened by a thump to discover that he had wandered into my office. And for some reason, moved between the the computer and the wall, collecting the vast uh, uh, plug collector, the, the the power surge protector with him on his yes. way. Yes. Uh, so he had uh, my printer no longer functions, and my beautiful uh, glass sculpture of my logo uh, fell and oh, got detached from its base. Oh. Um, and it awoke me early, so I was already annoyed. And then I went back to bed. And then uh, he was scratching, oh, God, open this door for me, which he does sometimes because he wants to go in the closet. And I kept sort of not opening my eyes. They just settle down, buddy. And then I woke up to guilt because he had wandered into the bathroom and was scratching to get out. Oh, dear. So, you know, I'm great. But I have an aging dog, uh, and there's a pandemic in the world, so I feel a little bit guilty about how great I'm doing. Uh, and how are you, sir? I'm doing I'm doing moderately well, given the what I've termed the great weirdness. The great weirdness is good. Yeah, um, oh. I, I I work for an agency, a branding agency, but we've all been working from home since the second week of March, and this is an international agency. So everyone is working from home. And yeah. it's really interesting because we we often have talked over the years about collaborating cross office, but it's never worked out very well. Now, everyone is in the same office, essentially. So it's become this sort of interesting way to get work done. We are at an inflection point and people keep thinking, well, when this pandemic is over, things will go back to normal. And that's, I think, the silliest idea ever. And we all know that normal wasn't working well for a whole <laughs> lot of people. Isn't that true? Um, and it's not to say that it's working great for everybody now, but um, at weak points in history, at the moments when the, the arc is, is bending abruptly, those are opportunities to really take advantage of change and move things in the direction we want to see them move. Definitely. Uh, and Part of that is getting away from fossil fuel. And part of that is communicating the way you and I are right now yeah. through the magic mirror instead of uh, in person. But how do you, how are how are you affected by the fact that um, you can't just pop into a club and do a set these days? Well, clubs are down to 25% capacity right. uh, maximum anywhere, which to my mind just makes me think I've been preparing my whole career for this. <laughs> Thank you. It's a joke about how my life is an ongoing object lesson and how I am not a draw. Um, the, uh, I, 
I haven't been on the road that much in years. Okay. Uh, frankly, if I'm being honest, I, you know, I've always, I, the past few years, I haven't been on the road more than 10 or 15 weeks. Okay. Um, so that's not a huge cutback for me. Uh, I had to shift some of my, my income arrangements, you know, but that happens. Yeah. Um, I've, I'm a writer and, yeah. uh, you know, I, I had a book deal on, wait, as you may or may not know, Mark, are have people been telling you since the pandemic that you remind them of, uh, the guy who plays agent Coulson? <laughs> no, I've never gotten, Clark, very, I've never gotten Clark Gregg's name. Clark thrown Craig, away. That's the name I couldn't find. You're, yeah. you're, you're looking very, <laughs> Um, this you will see right here. This relatively painless by a, Dylan Brody. And um, I had a sort of a, I had a deal, and we were we were negotiating the contract, and it was all based on the idea that I could tour. Um, <laughs> I, I really it was very painful to me that we had to cancel all the plans on this. So I burned that contract. I, I didn't burn it. You know, we all sat around and said, yes. yeah, that's not going to work. And I put this out myself through a, uh, oh. a publishing company and it is the most beautiful thing I've ever created. And I, and I didn't want it to languish. Uh, and so much of what I was planning for 2020 was touring for this book, not to mm. clubs, but to bookstores and, um, and spaces where I could read and, and do Q and A and places that didn't feel like a comedy club. Uh, and, uh, coffee, I had a bunch of coffee houses I was talking to about the, you know, it was going to be a very cool tour. Um, so now I'm putting together a, uh, and a one evening event by zoom and I'm going to see how that works on December 1st when the book officially drops, uh, which will be readings. Um, and I created this series called, uh, Corona Dialogues. I've seen the first two episodes. I think it's fantastic. I love it. Uh, thank you very much for the kind words. It gets better as you go through it. Originally, it was, okay, so I, I, I've got to put this book out myself. Uh, I'm not going to be able to tour with it. How do I promote it? Yeah. And I took two of the characters from the book, and I created a sort of a two-episode, uh, two-act play to do okay. on Zoom with my friend Kate Orsini. And your brother and sister in the show. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I play Daniel Grundman, who is largely the lead character in the book. And she plays Lindsay Grundman. And in the book, Lindsay is an older sister. Kate is significantly younger than I am. Hmm. Um, in the book, Kate is this older sister who's, and uh, Lindsay is this older sister who's doing very well in Hollywood. Um, and Kate is a better actor than I am and more interesting than I am. (laughs) And, uh, I I did the two episodes thinking we'll do that and I'll put them up and I'll promote them and I'll see if I can get some awards for them. And maybe that'll help me promote the book. And then Kate brought me a third episode. Oh, really? Can we do this? And, you know, I have been writing a spec script. I've been writing two spec scripts a year. I haven't done it in a few years now, but from 1987 to 1998, I got lax after 98, I guess. I was writing two spec scripts every year, whatever this year's hot half hour was and whatever this year's hot hour long was. Okay. Because when I moved to Hollywood, someone told me that's how you get writing work in LA. Nobody explained to me that you have to then show them to people. Um, <laughs> I, 
like I, I can't tell you the ways in which I sabotaged my own career for years. Um, <laughs> but I, I was, I was constantly getting notes. Like, oh, these are great. This is you match the voice of the show perfectly. Uh, where, but you know, we've been canceled. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I became very good at mimicking other people's writing styles and voices. And I had never seen someone do it to me. Mm. And I read this script and I said, oh, let's shoot this. And I called a friend of mine, Eddie Pons Dominic, who went to Yale years ago and studied drama. And he did the, the other role in that one with her. And I realized the show wasn't about Daniel. It was about Lindsay. Oh, um, interesting. And that was interesting. So now I had an interesting way of playing with it. The next episode I wrote for Lindsay to deal with her dad. Mm. And I had my dad play the father in his first acting role since 1958 <laughs> when he was in the Plaster Bambino in San Francisco with Burgess Meredith and Vivica Linford. Oh, my God. Um, he, and he's been an acting teacher and he's been a, uh, an academician and a theater teacher for years. Um, and he was beautiful. In it. And... Uh, and then I came back to do another one with her uh, that was sort of a wrap up of those five episodes. And I thought, okay, now we're done. Uh, and then Bonnie Hunt responded to a tweet of mine, a private message through Twitter and said, I'd love to do one. Really? So now I had a reason to keep going for some more. <laughs> and I wrote a few more leading up that gave me the opportunity to put in Arnie Plesky, uh, Daniel's agent. <laughs> uh, Bonnie has now uh, she's come in as a producing partner. Wow! Uh, we don't know what that means exactly. Sure, uh, she's not. Yeah, she's it's one of those nice, one of those nice vacuous titles. Well, what's beautiful about it, she she was saying get, maybe I can find some way to sell it so we can all get paid because it's been all you know my own production money. Sure, it's um. Listen, I'm building a company called the Just Right Institute. That's Just Right W R I T E dot Institute. Uh, just right dot institute um, that is the educational and instructional arm of active voice productions and that is supporting now the production concerns mm. at a time when I can't figure out how to build out production concerns that can make me money yeah um, and as proof of concept of the the idea for the way this company can be self-supporting this is the most exciting thing that's ever happened. Um, I get to make this thing almost every week. Yeah, you're how many episodes um, in now? 40 uh, something, yes? Just, well, including the uh, meta-musical, sub-spectacular, uh, hour-long special. Um, and it really is sub-spectacular. It's yeah. <laughs> a, a, a sequence of dialogue between me, between Daniel and Lindsay. Mm -hmm. uh, about an actress that she's finding interesting from a show that she did a, that she wants to use a song from in her her series, and it's this brief dialogue between us, and then the entirety of the play this woman was in uh, as videographed in a workshop production. Um, that I it's and it's a musical, it's a solo musical that I wrote and directed several years ago. This is great. Um, and it introduces this character who's a love interest in a current story arc. Um, and 
this is a Dylan Brody project. This is the second of the Dylan Brody projects. The first one was a movie that I made that was very bad. Uh, Paul Provenza's in it, and he's a genius. And I directed it very, very badly. Um, but one of the uh, the hallmarks of a Dylan Brody project, which is to say my projects that I create and make on my own dime, is this weird meta exploration of everything as seen through my eyes and being part of this sort of internal world that I have. So for this, so Robin Heller, who is the lead in that musical, now is on the series playing Robin Heller. And she wrote the most recent episode that she was in. Oh. So not only have I created a playground where good performers, I mean, Bonnie Hatova Feldshu came in and did an episode playing the mother in the, in the family, uh, which was very exciting because I got to learn that I'd been mispronouncing her name for 30 years. <laughs> um, her name apparently is Tova Feldshu. Wow. Okay. Who knew? Who knew? Uh, it sounds so much less Yiddish. Than, you know. <laughs> um, but she came in to play the mother and Robin, this is her first real writing credit. She had done an episode and then she came to one of my writing workshops and I said, have you started thinking about writing an episode for yourself? And she said, I had, I didn't know if it would be right for me to suggest. And I said, write one. Because the whole point of the Just Write Institute is that I'm trying to flip on people's creative epigenetic triggers. And the only way mm. I know to do that is writing. Because epigenetic, I, sorry to stop you. Epigenetic, can you explain that a bit? I would be happy to. This is, you know, that's a conversation that I never get to have. Um, uh, we, we know what genetics are, right? You have all sure. of these genes that allow you to be predisposed to various things. Uh, epigenetics is the, the science of how those genes are turned on or off, how those mm. chromosomes are switched into functioning or passivity, right? And I have an underlying belief that lives in everything I write now, in everything I do, and in the educational arm of the company, which is that I've been saying for 10 years that we live in a dark age when mm. uh, science and invention and innovation and intellect and human expansion are belittled and ridiculed. You can see it in the anti-intellectualism of the entertainments and of the uh, the far right in its policy, right? Yes. Um, and that uh, after a dark age, there comes a renaissance. When once again, people are exploring and expanding and learning and thinking and enjoying the great pleasure that learning is. Mm. The very reason that I'm convinced, aha, sounds so much like aha, um, <laughs> because uh, learning tickles. Um it's, it's a delight to learn. Intellect is a joy. It is, you know, part of the human uh, striving is for creativity and creation. The way you move from a, a dark age into a renaissance is by flipping on the epigenetics for creativity and intellect and discovery mm. and learning and, and study. And I had forgotten that between the dark age and the renaissance, there's a plague. And mm. I don't think it's coincidental. I think humanity, when it is given too much leisure and comfort and uh, and ease and ease of living, 
tends to become lazy. And to and that's what anti-intellectualism comes from. Yes, it's yes. easier not to learn. It's easier not to think. It's easier to follow and to behave. And I don't think we can afford that anymore because humanity is in a race between its capacity, is, is, is involved in an internal race between its capacity for evolution and innovation, creativity, yes. study, and its capacity for self-destruction. Yeah. Um, and, and we can see it now with the death cult that has taken over American politics on one right. party. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's so clearly being revealed to us that what we need is uh, innovation and innovation and new ideas. And, and the fact that we are communicating this way is part of it. I agree entirely. Yeah. The, um, the fact we've been given all this amazing technology and people, most people I know can use a fraction of it. They don't even know how to use it, well, uh, how to access it. And um, to me, I see what happened, what's happening with, as you call them, the death cult. And there's a fervent desire in me to, to say that it's, I'm hoping it's, it's death rose on a, on a good day. Well, yes and no. Mm-hmm. I, on, on my meanest days, I imagine that the stupid, gullible, aggressive, most, most Neanderthalic of our uh, fellow countrymen are gathering together to make themselves sick and die off. <laughs> and that's not, you know, that is not my most generous self. No, that's not the version no. of me that I like to present in seminars, right? <laughs> um, it, is, it is certainly not a, a version of me that I present to my martial arts students or my, you know, my writing students, because it's not the idea, the kind of ideas that I want to be presenting to the world. Of course. Um, having just presented it to the world. Um, <laughs> on my better days, I am very, very worried. Um, because humanity, you know, things like this remind us of how fragile we are. Um, I will tell you a story, and perhaps it is funny. Um, you will be the judge, I guess. Uh, it's not something I've done on stage. It's just when I was a kid, I used to go to summer camp. Um, so you know, I spent time with Native Americans one summer. I abandoned the camp. They, I did a one week hang out with the Native Americans on the reservation hmm. thing, um, and then I didn't want to go back to the camp. So uh, phone calls were made and I suspect checks were cut. And eventually I was allowed to just stay for the summer on this reservation in Maine. And I tell the story of uh, the peyote driven vision quest they took me on, uh, on one of my albums. But also I was taken on a canoe trip down the Moose River to Moosehead Lake. Mm. Two canoe, three canoes with three people in each of them. So it was, you know, eight uh, well, seven or six young athletic uh, Native Americans, two adult Native Americans, and one asthmatic Jew in canoes on the Moose River. And it was great fun. Uh, and, uh, 
you learn to steer and you learn to paddle and there's this sense of clear water and ancient behavior and ritual as you're stroking through the water moving even with the current downstream and then there are rapids where it's terrifying and it's white water and you're all just laughing and screaming and terrified and then we took a break for lunch and we went swimming and as we're swimming you know it's I'm 11 or 12 years old the youngest in the group and I'm sort of treading water and hanging out while we're all chatting in the in the river and they keep moving up river and I'm getting annoyed because I'm out of breath and I'm asthmatic I'm Mm. trying to stay with them but they keep moving up river and why do they keep moving and I realize suddenly that I am being pulled down river they are staying still (laughs) oops and I start to call out and water fills my mouth Uh And now I see that they're still conversing. As far as they're concerned, I've just gone off on my own a little bit. And I am being taken down the river at 11 years old, and there is nobody I can tell to turn it off. And that's the moment that's been in my head for the last, what is it, seven months. Mm. There's no one to turn it off. Yeah. We are at the mercy of something much larger than us. And it ain't a conscious deity that is punishing the wicked. Mm -hmm. It's just math and science. Yeah. It's really interesting because I have also, first of all, what what nation was that that you were hanging out with? Iroquois. It was Iroquois Nation. Yeah. Silver Cloud Uh, Reservation. um, I have done a couple of cycles of vision quests with the, the... the remains of the Esalen Indians in California, which the Esalen Institute basically stole their name from them because they thought they were all dead. Um, but they're not. And uh, I fi- ayahuasca rituals? Or no, no, these were fasting rituals. Oh, fa- we, we, yeah, ours was peyote and fasting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, so I've done, I, I, back in the like late 90s, early aughts, uh, I did two cycles of four vision quests, one a year. And what you're talking about right now about that being in the river and, you know, no one knows the vision quest. That was not the vision. No, 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 no. I understand. But what it reminded me of was my very first um, sweat lodge ceremony that I ever had with these guys. And uh, the little bear is the head of this one group. And he says, oh, okay. Really? Or some minor hellhound of love. Oh, there you uh, go. Hippopotamus with a thousand adjectives, little bear Brody Esquire. <laughs> there you go. So he says, and, and Kate Orsini. Orsini means little bear. Oh, you're right. Absolutely. Isn't that fun? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Um, so uh, I go, yeah, let's do this vision quest thing. So I help build the sweat lodge and we get inside. And, you know, the very authentic sweat lodge and it's pitch dark inside. And I realize as they're bringing these hot stones in round after round, they bring in seven stones every round. It's getting hotter, filled with steam and hotter. And I begin to panic because I realize I don't know how hot this is supposed to be. And I don't know how hot it's going to get. And I start, I want to leave. And every time I start to move towards the flap that is the door, little bear's hand is on my arm and he just at one point he just goes you can leave if you want to and that was enough for me to stay and i realized that i could take it and that's that's how i feel and have felt for the last seven months is i don't know how bad this is gonna get and it's still getting worse yep and you know 
we haven't evolved that far since the dark ages the first no. dark ages you know no. um and you know when i talk about it's bigger than us it's math and science what's amazing to me is that almost half the country is actively going well fuck math and science yes yes absolutely maybe fuck math that's not <laughs> That doesn't function for anyone's benefit. That's right. That's right. Uh, it it is, and to me, it's. I mean, it's a fear reaction. Yes, and it, but it's a deer in the headlights fear reaction. Yes, There's no normal to go back to, and That's right. screaming that we've already done it, and it's just it's the strangest goddamn thing, um, and not a terrible time for people to be. Uh, doing the very things I think they need to be doing. I, I, yeah. I, I, people are crafting. It's so exciting to me. <laughs> I, yeah. I swear to you, uh, out of this epidemic, someone is going to come up with the the solar powered car. Someone is going to come up yeah. with uh, whatever the hell Nikola Tesla was talking about with the wireless transmission of energy. Mm-hmm. Someone's going to go. Um, Someone will come up with teleportation because you can't and, go outside. And here's <laughs> and here's the real question uh, for me: Will we recognize that as we develop these new uh, technologies? And I'm going to put technologies in quotation marks. Will we this time remember that before the Dark Ages, we left ourselves clear instructions about the rules for the use of magic? Mm. Um, That's interesting. Get into that a little bit. Well, I was a studying Druid for a time. Um, I I would say I was a practicing Druid, but, uh, you know, I didn't... I was practicing, but I wasn't yet performing. I was not yet a performing druid. Let's put it that way. Um, I was raised Jewish. Uh, As a martial artist, I've studied some Buddhism uh, uh, of various sorts. And uh, then I was a druid. And now I I study a lot of astrophysics. I think of myself as a Zen Jewish pagan with a Jewish yen for Sagan. It's a rhyming thing. It's not even a joke, but you do the Batan Death March with me to get there, and it's almost funny. It was um, worth it. It was uh, worth it. So uh, I was studying Druidism in my late 20s, and I, you know, I was named after Dylan Thomas, who mm. was a Welsh uh, lyric poet. And I start studying the Druids, and what I realize is that most of their much of their magic was language based. Um, so, Interesting. I, and I'm just going to tell you a little bit about druid use of language. Can we go over if we need to, and then you cut it down to whatever time you need? Because oh I, yeah, no, fascinating discussion. I okay. I, I, I have no network. I can make the show as long as I want. Fantastic. That's how I feel about Corona dialogues. So like, yeah. why did that run 21 minutes? Because I'm an idiot. I'm, um, <laughs> all right. The Druids had libraries. They, each tree represented a different sound symbol. Mm. Okay? Instead of the markings A, B, C, right? Each tree, represented the name of the tree represented mm. a sound symbol. So they would string leaves between trees. And then each leaf was a different sound. So you walked along the string to read the histories and the poems. 
Really? And these were libraries that existed until the War of the Trees on which there is virtually no history and about which I will eventually write a screenplay. Now, that gave them the ability to pass through time ideas that could previously only be expressed face to face, father to son, mother to daughter, and so on. Yeah. They had sign language of some sort mm-hmm. so that they could communicate telepathically. Those two people on opposite sides of the room hmm. could speak to it. They could hear one another's thoughts, pure magic to those around them. There's a dispute over land. Where is the border? And Bob and Dave are upset because there's a border dispute and a druid in a gray cloak happens through on a stormy day. And he says, oh, this is where the border is. And he puts down a post and he makes some magical markings on it to establish this is where it is. Writing, right? Magical markings. Two generations later, 35 years, another druid comes through and Bob Bobson and Dave Davison says, uh, say, well, we got a problem with our borders. And the Druid looks at this thing and says, why do you have a here upon this place? A Druid in a gray cloak happened on a stormy day and determined this to be the border. (gasps) That's exactly how my grandfather told me the tale. They can see through time. Interesting. Magic. Interesting. Right? Yeah. The, The Druid satire, from which I genuinely believe we now get the modern limerick, Mm. was a short rhyming spell that could be placed upon a a person of great renown or respect whom the Druids wished to take down. Once spoken, they could never wield the same level of respect and authority. Interesting. It's a well-written joke. It is David Steinberg's joke uh, I will tell you this about Richard Nixon. You will never think about him the same way again. His face looks like a foot. Yes. Right. And he, and Nixon yes. had the Secret Service threaten him over that joke. Yeah. Because they still have that much power. Okay. Jokes, which change the way we look at the world, are reinforced mythologies, poems that allow us to memorize, songs that allow us to memorize, marketing technique. These are all the magics of language Mm -hmm. being used willy-nilly for the profit of the self, not for the good of the many, as we were taught to use magic. Internal combustion, the fire magics being used willy-nilly for the profit of a few, not for the good of the many. Um, The the technology, the the rock magics, the, the metal magics, The magic mirror we are speaking through right now. Yes. Uh, The the television, all of these were described in our books of magic and how they can be misused. You don't use the magic mirror as a narcissistic stepmother to look perpetually at the most beautiful versions of yourself idealized into uh, extravagance. You use them for communication, you use them for learning, you use them for the good of the kingdom, or else you're just the evil bastards. Interesting. Get back to your language thing for a moment. It's fascinating because I had a discussion. I was doing an interview. This was years ago. I was doing an interview for a comedy newspaper with Jerry Seinfeld. Did you bridging time with your words? Go ahead. 
Um, and uh, for for my money, at a certain point in time, Seinfeld and Larry Miller were two of the best joke technicians. Yeah. In terms of their craft of the language, and they spent their time doing it. And I had that exact, not exact discussion. I had a very similar discussion with Seinfeld because I knew him from. I used to run a club in Seattle, and he'd played there a number of times. So he was Just in L.A. Record, I want to point out to you, you never booked. Go ahead. <laughs> this was in 1983. Uh, just for the record, I've been doing comedy for two years by then. <laughs> and you never booked. It's okay, I was in college. But. So I had gone to move to LA and I was writing for this paper part time out of San Francisco. And Seinfeld had just done the second episode of Seinfeld in the four episode summer replacement series. That had to be 85, 86. Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. And I, we were talking about writing a joke and how his joke writing works. And I told him the same thing about spellcraft. And I said, a spell only works properly when it is pronounced exactly right. And I said, that's what you do. You're spending, and Larry Miller does the same thing. He used to call me because he was working on his five stages of drunkenness routine. God, what a great piece that was. And he would call me and he would go, I am trying to think of which the, is funny. The, si the size of the devil that pops up in the guy's shoulder. He says, I'm torn between German shepherd and fire hydrant. And I just said, what else? And he just, he, he would call me every once in a while with different aspects of that. And that's what it felt like to me was he was trying to get the spell right. Well, yeah, Seinfeld, Seinfeld is interesting. Cause I think, I think Seinfeld was not uh, full of shit when he said he thinks he's somewhere on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. No, uh, definitely. Uh, um, and I think of him as like the most excellent craftsman uh, possibly in the history of comedy, mm -hmm. not the greatest artist. No, but a craftsman um, it, has very little to express in terms of his vision of the world. Yes, it's it's all about observation. A full understanding of how the magic is built. And you know what he told me? This was fascinating too. And I've heard a couple of other people tell they've never never been able to express it like he did. Was he he told me he writes his comedy holographically? He looks at the subject and he looks at it from every conceivable angle he can think of, including the, the subject itself looking outwards. And then he just begins to pare away the stuff that he doesn't think works, but he looks at it from 360 degrees and then works his way around it. Kind of like Michelangelo trying to bring the statue out from inside the granite. A I'll bet that is true. And B I'll bet he does it in three and a half seconds. Probably so. Um, yeah. You know, as I'm teaching my, uh, I run a workshop on, on Saturday mornings for writers, uh, and then I coach writers, mm. uh, and all I am ever doing, I create exercises for them and drills. And one of them said, how many of these do you have? <laughs> and I said, I, 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 I don't think I have any. All I ever do mm. is when I see what they're struggling with. I figure out what my brain is doing, trying to solve it as a writer. Interesting. And then I give them the assignment to do just that thing with it. Just do this with it for now. And they'll find their way to an idea. And I, it is always my hope that each of those goes into the toolbox. Like you just said to me, he looks at it from every different angle and from the point of view of the subject. And I thought, oh, 
that's really interesting. I kind of do that. I can see how I could codify that into something that's now in my toolbox. Yes. When I'm stuck. And exactly. those tools are for when you're stuck. Yeah. And the, when it's flowing, it's happening without you thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And I'll bet when Jerry uh, breaks his shoelace and is going through the you know two-minute process of t- taking one end to make it shorter and bringing it through back and forth, making the other side longer, by the time he's done that, he's written three or four jokes about that process and the frustration of that. Yeah. And, you know, the question about why we haven't invented something better. This seems pretty medieval. Lacing up. A, we don't lace up our damn tunics anymore. We give up the tunic entire. Whatever his take yeah. would be on it. Sorry, I do that. Um, he's, he's finding them in the time it takes to do that. Yeah. And then when he's talking to you about it, he's thinking, well, I look at it from 360. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah. Yes. It's yes. his brain doing it like that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Dylan, this is great. I just, uh, I, I am just sort of conscious of your time, and I'm also conscious of just how long I can run this. But I would I love to, love to have you back on because, I mean, this seems like we've just barely scratched the surface. I could talk about this stuff for hours. Do you mind if I do a few plugs for things? No, that's what I was going to lead to. Was uh, tell us where to find the web series. Tell us what else you've got going on. Oh, um, um, the web series can be found at Corona hyphen dialogues.com uh and that is dialogues spelled correctly with a g-u-e-s at the end good um uh i don't want people getting lost and winding them winding up i I will Uh, also have links on the blog for this episode to all these sites thank you uh the just right dot institute just right dot institute uh, we're doing a, a really special thing for, uh, I think I have six slots left, November for NaNoWriMo. Mm. I'm doing full-on weekly coaching for a thousand bucks for the month. Nice. Um, and usually my personal, my private coaching is stupid Hollywood expensive, but enough people said, I want to write a book this year and I'm trying to flip on the epigenetic triggers. If you go to justwrite.institute, we have stuff there for people regardless of ability to pay. Um, I would not launch the site until I was sure that we had at least enough uh, drills and uh, exercises up for free so that people can get started without me because I'm trying to use the magic right. That's nice. Um, I, yes, I charge for my high-end stuff. I'm constantly trying to find ways to make it less expensive because I, I'm not... I don't need to get rich. I need to save the world. So just write dot Institute, turn on your writers, epigenetic triggers, get your creativity flowing. I promise you, uh, I I'm just trying to get your writing. That's all I want in the world. Uh, and of course, relatively painless, the new book coming December 1st, go to Dylan Brody. That's me. Dylan Brody.com slash painless. Nice. Um, People uh, can pre-order. You can pre-order it right now uh, at Amazon there, okay. or you can pre-order it directly from me with a different button at that very site, and I'll sign it for you, Ooh, but it costs extra, because <laughs> I have to put on a mask and go to the post office. <laughs> well, Dylan, this has been amazing. I uh, We've run into each other a couple of times, and I thought this was maybe going to be kind of a typical interview, not a good interview, but a interview about comedy and your beginnings. And this is, uh, 
This is far more fascinating than I ever thought we would get I, into. I am happy to talk to you about comedy in my beginnings anytime. Um, I actually, I believe I have stories that are written that I could do about comedy in my beginnings. <laughs> but I always think that what's happening right now, what is in our moment, what is in our world is much more important and interesting I than agree. anything that came before. I agree. Um, I agree. It's a pleasure and a privilege to see you. Dylan, uh, thanks so much. And I do look forward to speaking with you again. Thanks for having me, sir. Anytime, let me know. All, All right. right. Take care. You too. This episode of Succotash is sponsored in part by TrumpPoetry.com, a chronological ode to a fake muse. Enjoy a rhyming spin on the news of the day every day, as well as over 500 archived daily verses thoroughly covering the White House, America, and the world with a sticky caramel coating that's impossible to remove. That's TrumpPoetry.com. Everything you need to know in rhyming couplets. Trump Poetry. I want to thank Dylan Brody for that really cool, interesting, and far-ranging chat. Be sure to check out the Corona Dialogues. You can also pre-order his new book coming out, Relatively Painless, by clicking on the link to the title of his book over on our home site, SuccotashShow.com, or through his DylanBrody.com website. Listen for Mia Amico Tyson Saner in next week's installment, episode 228, and until we meet again, please be kind to each other. Remember to wear a mask, wash your hands, get out and take a walk, rate and review us on Apple and Google Podcasts, follow us on Stitcher, and if your friends and family ask if you're listening to any good soundcasts, please be sure to pass the succotash. Cheers. <laughs> You've been listening to Succotash Shut In, the Soundcast Stimulus Package, with your host, Mark Hershon. Brought to you by Henderson's Pants, TrumpPoetry.com, and... Imagine your company's name right here. Find us on the web at SuccotashShow.com, on iTunes, on Stitcher, on iHeartRadio, on YouTube, on SoundCloud, on the <laughs> laughable app, and tattooed on your mother's rear end. You can hear us streaming and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Succotash Show. Email us at marc at succotashshow.com. Or call into the Succotash Skype line at our toll call number 818-921-7212. You can also upload clips from your favorite comedy soundcast directly to us using our direct upload link at hightail.com slash you slash Succotash. Production of Succotash is overseen by Joe Paulino through the auspices of Studio P. Sausalito, the home of the hit. Our hosts are Mark Hershon and Tyson Saner. Our musical director is Scott Carvey. Our booth assistant is still Kenny Durgis. And until next time, I'm your loyal booth announcer, Bill Haywatt, reminding you to please wash your hands and pass the Succotash. Goodbye. event yes i just i like so, doing having the image when the bandwidth allows just so we can see each other and do, do you want me to be in this uh fantastic uh analog television for you i i think i think that's fine in fact you know what i should take a picture uh, i should take a screenshot of it so i can use it uh on on the blog for this oh, i should not be in that format for that though okay. oh no i love it i love it and by stop yelling at me <laughs> I've turned it off.
<laughs> no, I thought it was great. It's adorable, but it's also just me being goofy with my uh, <laughs> my technology. This has been a Succotash Patch production.